Welcome to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm your host, Taylor Velazquez. New Mexico students are facing challenges both inside and outside the classroom that make learning difficult. A community school model presents a potential solution as its structure is built on four pillars, integrated health and social supports, expanded learning time, strong family community engagement, and collaborative leadership by transforming a school into a place where teachers, community members, families, and students come together to strengthen education. This model meets the community where they're at by recognizing that each community has their own unique attributes and needs. Community schools can connect students and families to free healthy meals, tutoring, mental health counseling, and adult education opportunities. While New Mexico has the third highest childhood poverty rate in the nation and the implementation of the Yossi Martinez lawsuit settlement ordering an equitable education to all children has been slow community schools present an opportunity to improve educational outcomes while strengthening underserved neighborhoods. This morning, we'll discuss community schools and how they can potentially help New Mexico's reoccurring last place rankings in education. We also want to hear from you. What resources do you think schools can offer our communities? How do you think the model can engage students, especially after the pandemic? Email us at letstalk at KUNM.org or you can call in live at 505-277-5866. I want to introduce my first guest this morning, Jeannie Oaks, who joined, joins us live via Zoom this morning. She's a prof- presidential professor emeritus in education equity at UCLA and author of Keeping Track, How School Structure, Structure Inequality. Good morning, Jeannie. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. It's nice to be with you. And my first question for you is that you're working on lear- the, with the Learning Policy Institute on projects related to community schools. Can you give us an overview of what community schools actually are? Is this something new? Is this model something that we're starting to see in schools now? Well, yes, we're working on community schools as an alternative to the traditional sort of factory model of schools where kids come in and uh, everything is standardized and the focus is nearly uh, entirely on their academic learning. Community schools, as you uh, suggested in your introduction, are a place where educators come together with community members and families and students to figure out collectively what is most needed in their schools and communities to help young people, all young people thrive, and then how can they work together to pull all the resources of the school together with the resources of the community and create these conditions that you you mentioned. You know, you you talked about four pillars: integrated student supports, uh, expanded learning time, collaborative leadership, and powerful student and family engagement. But community schools also have other key practices that make them places where they really have a culture of safety and belonging and care, where students show up, they feel that people know them, that people care about them, that they know their families, and that also instruction is connected to what students already know and experience so that the the nature of teacher and learn teaching and learning connects with what kids experience at home and we know that's extremely important for all kids to have instruction that uh, connects with what they experience outside of school so it's a very interesting approach i mean it's really important to understand it's not a new program that gets pasted on traditional schools it's a way of doing schooling that integrates the community into the school and to think much more broadly about the whole child's needs, not just the academic performance. You just mentioned a key practice with community school models is the whole child framework for school improvement. What does it mean to address the whole child? Well, when you address the whole child, you recognize, and there's interesting, there's a lot of new science uh, behind this, that cognitive learning or academic learning is um, connected to social and emotional learning and to physical development. So that these uh, areas of human development, the physical, the cognitive, and the social uh, and emotional, don't occur in separate places. They all work together. So when a whole child approach makes, creates environments where those things are recognized and planned for, 
So again, so the lessons aren't strictly uh, didactic uh, academic lessons, but give kids a chance to develop socially, emotionally, and physically as well. Social emotional learning is something that's been a really hot topic after the pandemic. And unfortunately, New Mexico is not alone in poor performance post pandemic. Nationally, we're seeing things like chronic absenteeism, teacher shortages and decline in test scores. What is what is the continuous improvement cycle that community schools offer and why do we need this, especially now? Well, you're right about the um uh, harms from the pandemic, and we're still trying to figure out why that is and what can be done about it. Community schools, because it does address the whole child, is far more likely an approach to get kids back into school, to get them engaged, to get their parents also uh, very aware of the school as a safe and uh, a happy place for their kids to be. And to um, my view is to the, the community school approach is much more um, um, situated in a way that is going to address these problems, although we're, we're recognizing that, that it's not all going to happen in a minute. And community schools don't happen in a minute. But um, we can see, and you can see during the pandemic, it was very interesting. And uh, maybe Dr. Sanchez Griego will talk a little bit about this, but places that were community schools had a real advantage over other schools because they knew their families. They knew where the families were, they knew where the children were. And uh, in Cuba, I know the, the bus drivers became real ambassadors and connectors between families and the school and kept those relationships strong. And we saw that all over the country, the community schools, because of their whole child approach and because of their connection with families, just seemed to do quite a lot better in terms of having kids showing up, kids feeling connected. Um, but it's going to take a while. It's been a, a huge shock to our system. I'm sure it's going to take a while to implement all the things that we need to do to get back to where we were. But you wrote a book called, called Keeping Track, How Schools Structure Inequality. Can you tell us a little bit more about how schools affect inequality and how community schools can help all students get that equitable education? Yeah, I will. I'll try to be really short about this. But the, the Keeping Track book, uh, analyzed the way we do schools in terms of and, and found that kids come into school, the school decides uh, how smart a kid is or how likely a kid is to go on and really uh, exceed or exceed uh, other kids and sorts them into classrooms based on their ability uh, or what's expected of them and then teaches to those abilities. And what happens is, is that kids who are thought of as very high achieving and have high potential get rich and, and wonderful learning experiences and kids in classes that are meant for kids who are thought of as being sort of very weak and low level learners get very uh, a much more meager curriculum and fewer rich opportunities to learn. Well, lo and behold, uh, kids learn what they're taught. And that kind of a system, it creates a factory model with sort of three different tracks in it or four different tracks in it. And the kids come out very much looking uh, as different as they did when they came into school. So it, it reproduces the inequalities that we see. And a lot of those inequalities are caused by living in concentrated poverty or being in a group whose culture and language has been discriminated against. So the difference with community schools is community schools assume that all kids have amazing potential and that if you can create the right conditions, you can you can create places where all kids thrive. You don't have to decide who's smart and who's not smart and figure out what to teach the smart kids and what to teach the not so smart kids, that you teach them all as these potential humans who can thrive under the right conditions. And then you work like crazy to make those conditions happen. So it's an entirely different approach to schooling. And I want to dig a little deeper on those ideas right there. You worked on a report that studied New Mexico schools. The report explains that more than a quarter of children here live in live below the federal poverty line. How does pov poverty neg negatively impact children and their school success? Well, we know from research that individual being an individual in poverty is already a burden uh, for kids and creates some barriers when they come into school and kids from 
from poor families tend not to do as well in school as kids from more affluent ones. We think that's because they have many more, the affluent ones have many more opportunities to learn outside of school and many more experiences and many more resources. That This isn't really a, a kid problem so much as the, the whole environment problem. Um, the... The, the concentration of poverty makes that worse because when you live in, an, in a community that's majority poverty, that the difference in resources get magnified. So it's a whole resource, uh, uh, a lack of resources and opportunities to learn throughout the community. And then the school system responds to that in some ways. It's, it's, it's for example, in New Mexico, in the report, we pointed out that Brand new teachers, first and second year teachers, get concentrated in schools where the kids live in concentrated poverty. So if you're a brand new teacher, you're just trying to figure out what, you, what you're going to do, you're just learning how to teach, you typically get put in a school where kids have the additional burdens that come along with living in concentrated poverty. Whereas more schools in better off neighborhoods tend to get more experienced teachers and teachers tend to, to rotate. Uh, uh, and so it's it's a lack of resources as uh, both in and out of school that make poverty such a barrier to learning. And that's, of course, what community schools are trying to do. Say we're going to tackle not only the inequalities inside of schools, we're going to try to um, I mean, schools can't fix poverty, but we're going to try to provide all of the resources and supports we can to help kids overcome the barriers that come along with living in poverty. And community schools are a research-based strategy. New Mexico has historically struggled in its education rankings. I'm wondering for those of us who may be skeptical about this model, what improvements you've been able to see in other states like California where you're working? Yeah, well, nationally, there's a lot of research that uh, showing that community schools, and let me make this caveat, when they're fully implemented and when they're well done, can have a, a, a positive effect on kids' attendance, on their behavior, and on their learning and on their development as healthy young people. Um, but the, the, the trick is, is that you have to use the model. And in New Mexico and like a lot of other places, things get called community schools. I know in, uh, in Santa Fe, for example, schools that were K-8 schools got the name uh, of, of they were called a community school. Well, that's fine, except that putting the sign on the door and calling the school a community school is not gonna put into place all of the features that need to be there in order to help kids really thrive. So um, the the nice thing about New Mexico, there are several nice, I mean, there are lots of nice things about New Mexico, but this tradition of having communities involved with schools, having communities, uh, have a, a real determination of what their children should experience and learn. The, the desire for that and the effort to build that is a long-standing tradition in, in New Mexico, uh, beginning with native cultures and, and uh, tribal communities who want very much to have these features of school, thinking about a whole child, connecting instruction to their communities, having schools be safe and inclusive spaces, all of these things have been a, a deep felt desire in New Mexico for a very long time. And fortunately, as other people on this panel will can talk to more than I can, the legislature and the governor have been really quite receptive to this idea. So begin to put in place some of the building blocks needed to really make it possible to do the work. And you'll, you'll hear them talk about their work. It's quite astonishing. Although, again, it doesn't happen overnight, and you can only count on those good results when things are in place and when they're well done. And I'm going to pause the conversation right there, and we're going to head to a quick break. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Taylor Velasquez. We're talking about community schools, and we'll be back in a minute. Support provided by Matucci's Restaurants, home of the 30-minute lunch and Bloody Mary brunch, with four locations in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho. Learn more at matucci's.com. Listeners appreciate how nonprofit organizations are helping the community. Nonprofit underwriting at KUNM highlights your work while supporting KUNM programming. To become a nonprofit underwriter, call Aaron Steele at 505-277-2163.
Her family was Irish, and she was born as Augusta Holmes, but she grew up in Paris, and when she became a French citizen, she changed the pronunciation of her last name from Holmes to Olmez. We'll hear a gorgeous piece by Augusta Olmez. It's called Night and Love, on the next Performance Today from APM. Weekday mornings at 9 on KUNM. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Taylor Velazquez. On next week's show, we'll be talking about city growth and development and keep an eye on our website for details. Today, we're talking about community schools and we're taking your calls on the topic. Are you part of a community school? What has that experience been like? Give us a call at 505-277-5866 and let us know, or you can shoot us an email at letstalk@kunm.org. And so far this morning, we've been joined by Jeannie Oaks, who is a presidential professor emeritus in educational equity at UCLA and author. But I also want to introduce my next guest this hour, Nate Williams. He's part of the community schools team for the New Mexico Public Education Department. Good morning, Nate. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And I just want to ask you a quick question. What is the community schools team and what does your work look like at that state level? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, we are a team of four full-time PED employees that work uh, on community schools, but we're so much more than that, too, because we kind of follow the community schools model. We have partnerships with uh, the different uh, regional educational cooperative centers around the state, uh, and we work with different nonprofits and other organizations, such as ABC Community School Partnership, uh, which you'll hear from later and other nonprofits around the state to really address the issues of community schools and make sure that PED does everything it can to help with the implementation and the support that community schools need. And we heard from Jeannie earlier this morning about this model approaching the whole child uh, in mind. I'm sure each school district and each individual has their own specific needs, but New Mexico is struggling in education as a whole. How is PED looking at the barriers to learning and how do we fill in those gaps? Well, that's part of what makes New Mexico unique is that our, our barriers and our challenges are different than they are other places. And our resources are different than they are other places. And one of the things that's fantastic about community schools at its core is that it's highly individualized to each school. Yes, there is a strategy that has the six key practice areas, but how those get implemented can look very different from school site to school site. For example, one in the South Valley of Albuquerque will look very different than one in Penasco because they have different resources available to them. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're one's a community school, one isn't. It's just that they're implementing things differently. And so the way we look at it is we're offering uh, support and, and funds to help schools best meet what the needs they have are in their community. Uh, so whether it's poverty and, and hunger or whether it's, you know, kids just need time before or after school until their parents uh, get done working and they need more enrichment in their learning or uh they want to get dive deeper into language and culture. And, and you know, uh, as Jeannie alluded to, there's a lot of tribal areas that are community schools, and it's kind of where a lot of it started in New Mexico. And uh, so trying to emphasize, for example, the Navajo language and, and things like that in after-school activities is something that we really support. And considering those learning de- deficits we've talked about so far this morning, where on PED's priority list are community schools? It's very high. Uh, right now, we uh, have about $10 million that we give out in grants to schools across the state. And we have community schools from uh, Deming to Raton and Farmington to uh, Roswell all over the state. And it's something that's been showing results, uh, as Jeannie alluded to in the research uh, that we've seen across the country. And it's something that we're really dedicated to here in New Mexico because we need to take care of our next generation and make sure that they have everything that they need to succeed. And that's gonna look different from place to place. And community schools is a strategy uh, that allows schools to address those needs. And there's about 91 community schools in New Mexico who are receiving the grant funding from PED that you just mentioned. How can this be used to support and improve educational outcomes in the state for those specific schools? Well, that's largely uh, dependent on, on what the schools need. And you, you've got uh, Dr. Karen sanchez Griego, who will be on later, talk about how they are implementing it and how they're using it. Uh, but I think it largely depends on what the needs of that school are. Uh, they can use it to help 
coordinate activities with other community providers. And when we say community providers, that can be, say, the Boys and Girls Club, if you have one there. Or it can be Joe down the street who has a farm and is willing to share agricultural experiences with the students. So uh, using the funds that we provide helps them make those connections, helps them fund a community school coordinator who can be the super connector at the school and make the connections between needs and resources that the community has. And through the collaborative leadership that the school has, uh, they can better address and better understand what the needs of their community are and, and what resources are available to them and how they can meet them. And that by taking care of a lot of those concerns, that allows the students to focus more on academic achievement. And academic achievement has been added as a, as a key practice area of the community school strategy. And Jeannie, I want to go back to you for listeners who are wondering what makes a school eligible to be a community school or what can or can any school district or school benefit from this model? Yes, well, the uh, evidence is pretty clear that um, any child (laughs) can thrive in a community school. And it's not really a model, even though the impact of a community school is much greater on kids who live in poverty or whose cultures and languages have been denigrated in the past. it also works very well for for more advantaged kids. In fact, a lot of schools in advantaged neighborhoods have a lot of the characteristics of community schools. And they have it because they live in communities with lots of resources. They have organized and involved parents who secure resources and provide lots of extra things for kids as well. So the model is really, in, in fact, you could say that you're taking the model that operates well in the most advantaged communities and creating those same conditions in communities where children and families happen to be poor. Although any school in in New Mexico is, uh, there's some priority for the funding given to, uh, I think that's right, you'll correct me, Nate, um, uh, to schools that um, qualify on basis of poverty. But the, the sad fact is, is that almost every school in New Mexico does. And we're taking your calls this morning. Are you a parent? What outcomes would you like to see in order for your student to be either college or career ready? You can give us a call at 505-277-5866 or send us an email at letstalk at kunm.org to share. And Nate, I want to go back to you. It sounds like there's a lot of collaboration that's going on within community schools and takes a lot of different people with a lot of different backgrounds. But how is how does PED aim to provide support and guidance to community schools when it comes to building these coalitions? Oh, well, what we do is we uh, are going to provide training for the community school coordinator because the community school coordinator is an essential piece of this whole puzzle. They're the ones that really are responsible for the day-to-day connections that they make. Uh, We put on trainings and conferences to help build connections. But the other key uh, person in this whole equation is the school principal. Uh, If the school principal and the community school coordinator are on the same page and they're both fully invested in a strategy, that's what makes schools uh, uh, really excel. And a good example of that is Lava Land Elementary in Albuquerque Public Schools. They fully bought into the community school strategy, uh, and the principal there is from that community, as is the community school coordinator. And that makes a huge difference because they're familiar with the needs that are there. And what uh, ABC and, and PED have done is basically just said, what do you need from us? How can we help you? And, and there isn't a top-down approach to community schools because that's antithetical to the whole approach. It's Our view is, what do you need? What are your issues that you're having? What resources do you need that you don't have? And how can we help make those connections and help find them for you? And speaking of ABC Community Schools, I would like to introduce my next guest this morning, joining us via Zoom, Danette Townsend, Executive Director of the ABC Community School Partnership and one of the directors for the Southwest Institute for Transformational Community Schools. Good morning, Danette. Good morning. Thank you for having all of my compadres here with you today. Yeah, it sounds like a tight-knit group. And I want to ask you for your input on the conversation so far. We're speaking about New Mexico's longstanding challenges with education. We've seen that landmark decision of Yazi Martinez 
not meeting its constitutional standards to give all students an equitable education. And it's been really slow moving getting to meeting those standards. But for those teachers, parents and advocates and students out there, can community schools really move us in a positive direction that aligns with that settlement? So I think the short answer is absolutely. Um, the findings, what it, you know, what those findings say is we have certain populations of students that need more support than others. And it happens to be in New Mexico that we have a lot of those students. And in, in a community school strategy, it really isn't about what you do. It's about how you decided what you were going to do and how you align those towards that common result. So every school community has that opportunity to say, this is what we consider success. This is what we want to see for our students. And through the collaborative leadership structures and practices that we put into place in a community school, they decide for themselves what that looks like. So when you look at, at the findings of the lawsuit, whether it's and, and in, in addition to that, highly mobile students, which is included in, in a lot of the New Mexico um, work that we do, is what is getting in the way of those students being successful and finding and, and accessing and implementing their own agency in their education and a community school puts those conditions into place, but they do that, what's different is they do it with partners and they do it with community. And they look at, here's here's what we need. Like for example, um, Highland High School in, in Albuquerque um, is looking at, they surveyed their students, they talked to their students, they wanted to implement some auto body program, right? To, to really help the students engage because that was the voice that the students put forth. Um, so Burnley County, ABC, um, the Boys and Girls Club all came together and said, okay, let's make this happen. And uh, today at our, we're having our board meeting right now and during your meeting, during your show. And, you know, we're going to be uh, talking about how we were able to fund that um, for a multi-year commitment to really get that off the ground for the school. No single organization could have done that alone. And so now because there's a partnership, everyone's buying into this is what our students wanted and needed to be engaged in their education, to get them to come to school, to get them to want to engage while they're at school. And I think that's how community schools can move those move out of those findings, be that vehicle to meet the needs of those populations of students that need additional support and have been underserved and marginalized um, over time in our state. And the Southwest Institute for Transformational Community Schools, or SWIFT, was founded back in February of this year. You all received congressional directed spending awards that secured that was secured by Martin Heinrich, who is a supporter of community schools. Is there any accountability to Congress for improving educational outcomes? So the purpose of those funds were really couched in uh, looking at how we build a network of technical assistance and support for our communities that are looking to implement or are implementing the community school strategy outside of Santa Fe, Las Cruces and Albuquerque. And so what we have done um, to, to really engage with those funds to help our state is NEA New Mexico, uh, Communities in Schools in New Mexico and ABC Community School Partnership really came together to, to build SWIFT. It ended up being uh, the outcome of the work, but we've engaged folks like Learning Policy Institute, Institute for Educational Leadership to help us uh, research and design some of those interventions. So the way we are approaching it, the, the expectation wasn't that we change education outcomes with those funds, but that we help create a system, which is what we're doing and working through the New Mexico Coalition for Community Schools, which PED is a, a critical partner in. Uh, to look at what do we need. So principal training. Right now, we have a principal fellowship program happening across our state that is being led by the Institute for Educational Leadership from their um, their educational leadership component of their work. And being uh, co the coaches are both from across the country and local, working with principals, working with 47 principals across our state uh, to help get to what Nate was talking about, where there is this strong understanding through education leaders of what it means to really share power and voice, which is a critical piece of collaborative leadership in our community schools. Um, and we have uh, LPI has put out a uh, a white paper around policy uh, recommendations and what we might want to consider in our state to strengthen and sustain this work that's going on. We have over a hundred community schools in our state. Um, it's a pretty a pretty solid growth from the 
I think about 12 that we might have had in 2017. So it, you know, we've we've really taken hold here, and and part of that funding was really to be able to support those communities that don't have an ABC, don't have an NEA. It sounds like there's a lot of moving parts, but one role SWIFT is playing is advocating for increased funding of community schools and then working with the schools to make the most out of that funding. How well are we funding community schools in New Mexico right now? And should we anticipate seeing this model being transitioned into more schools? So absolutely, we should be seeing this model transitioned into more schools. Um, We, I would say from our perspective in, in ABC, that we are funding schools um, for the critical components of a community school, being a community school coordinator as a component that is critical to this model, it's imperative. Part of the beauty of this strategy is that we leverage existing resources, braid them together and align them towards a common result. Could we always use more money? Of course, things cannot, you know, our rural communities struggle with um, having partners in their community to help with this strategy. Uh, they face different challenges than we do in urban areas. Um, at the 100, 150,000 is what an implementation grant from the state looks like. That is definitely funding that can fund a coordinator, can get things off the ground. Where we're advocating strongly in partnership with the public education department is for long a long-term sustainability plan. And through House Memorial 44, there is a task force that has just started meeting that's looking at what that's going to take in our state. Um, What I will say that we haven't probably maximized yet is looking at additional public funds through departments that are not the public education department to really figure out where we need to draw funding, where we need to align funding, both through local government and state government and federal governments uh, to fund what communities say they need. We're already funding program. Let's just direct them to the schools that say they need whatever that is and really be intentional about how we utilize our resources, both public and private. And Nate, I want to get your input on the funding conversation that we're having. Danette just mentioned that we should anticipate seeing more schools transition to this model in the future, but is PED prepared to support an expansion in community schools in order to reach more students, for example, like rural New Mexicans? Yeah, absolutely. And we recently applied for a federal grant in partnership with uh, some regional educational centers around the state and other school districts and other community partners to really try to expand community schools on the state and uh, focus on what we call pipeline community schools so that a student's entire school experience from pre-kindergarten all the way through high school graduation is entirely done through the community school strategy. And so that our students can be put in the best position to really absorb the curriculum and instruction that they're getting in, in, in class and really improve achievement that way. So yeah, we are looking to expand, but uh, community schools is very much a bottom up, not a top down model. And so it's an opt in. And so we're trying to evangelize and promote the community school strategy as best as we can to show the great benefits that schools that have participated in it and have adopted it and implemented it have shown. And uh, we're here to be cheerleaders for the community school strategy. And Danette, you're working with the ABC Community Partnership. You're the executive director. You have a focus of aligning policies, practice, and creating access to resources. But what resources are you currently providing and to who? So we leverage a good deal of funding from the city of Albuquerque, Bernalillo County, and also Albuquerque Public Schools, as well as um, some of our other local partners. And what we focus on is any school can be a community school. They don't need a state grant. That's a funding stream to help get you off the ground if that's if that's what you need. Um, right now, what we focus on primarily is funding the position of the community school coordinator. So within our network of 76 schools, um, about a third of those uh, don't have any state funding at all and about half have very little and they utilize funding streams Um, that are currently being put into education. So we look, we work together as a team across all of those partners to say, okay, what are we doing with our at-risk funding? What are we doing with family income index funding? What are we doing with our community school grant funding, our federal grant funding, our state, our county funding, our city funding, um, and ensure first and foremost that there's a coordinator full-time in position there and that any resources that we are dedicating towards interventions and services are in response to a community assessment that both looks at assets, needs, and wants 
of a community based on what's getting in the way of learning. To get back to what Jeannie had talked about and creating the enabling conditions, we look at how we fund those. And we broker well over $6 million across the partners for the network of schools. And we're talking about the impact of community schools that can possibly move New Mexico away from its challenges when it comes to education. Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9. I'm Taylor Velasquez, and we'll be back in a minute. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, an eccentric group of cryptocurrency investors arrives in Puerto Rico with plans to change everything on the island. But it doesn't go that way. This is a decentralized movement. I'm not aware of anyone building any gated community. I think it's happening now. That's next time on Latino USA. That's Latino USA, Monday mornings at 8 a.m. on KUNM. Uganda's Kill the Gays law sparks vigilante violence how by the people audibly advanced by visibility and Irish folky Brian Kennedy sang out and hangs in. All that and more this week because you found This Way Out. That's This Way Out, Friday morning at 8.30, right here on KUNM. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We're taking a look at what community resources that schools can offer and why it's important to look at students' health holistically. There's still time to call in this morning, so give us a call at 505-277-5866. Now, so far this morning, we've been talking with some experts, but I would like to play a short clip from Christine Garcia, a parent of two students at community schools in Albuquerque. She had this to say about what resources look like and how the access to mental health has really helped her family. There's been some family issues and they have counselors. I did not know that, but they're both in counseling and they love their counselor at school. So, you know, they call me and they tell me, hey, they're doing great. So, you know, that's a good support for me. Jeannie, mental health and physical health are a part of this model. What does getting this type of care into schools look like? Well, it requires partnerships. <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's very important. We have such expertise around communities and around the state that uh, could be so well used if they were directed in schools. So the, the 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 one of the nice parts about a community school is that there are generally groups of people who really keep track of students. Who, who pay attention to who needs what kinds of help and then matches them with resources that are available uh, through partnerships in their communities. So they're getting help uh, not from uh, necessarily from teachers who are asked to step into the role of being a, a, an emotional counselor, but rather getting help from real experts in these fields, professionals in these fields through these partnerships. So it's really the partnerships between the schools and other agencies that are, are really the key to especially getting the mental, the mental health support kids need. Danette, I also want to get your reaction from Christine's clip. How do we make sure that students, families, teachers and staff and community members all feel like they have a role to play in this model? Well, first, we invite them in and we make sure that um, that the table is never is never closed. Right. That we we look at what we do in our network is we really work with our coordinators. We do a lot of coordinator training and support, as well as working with the district to help principals. Um, but we make sure that we look at who isn't at the table. You know, who in our school isn't represented when we're making decisions? Who is the closest to the to the service or the, the decision being made and not having a voice at that table? And we are very intentional about ensuring that it's not just a table of one group or another, but that it's diverse. And the second is that they, the decisions they make are actionable. It is shared power and voice. That means they're not advisors. They're not giving you their thoughts. They are included in the process by which this decision is made and they are valued and listened to and that decision is actionable. And then people return, right? They see themselves in the outcome and they don't, they keep coming back. And speaking of 
They keep coming back. Nate, the issues we were seeing before the pandemic have only worsened. For example, student engagement is low and chronic absenteeism is sitting at about 40% in the 2021-2022 school year, which is a significant jump from just 18% just in 2018-2019 school year. Are community schools a way to re-engage students after living through such uncertain times? The short answer is absolutely yes. Uh, what community school is about is making connections, not only with community partners and things like that, but with the students. And when you make that connection with the student and they have that great bond, that great connection with an adult at school or at, with an activity that they do or some part of the, of the lesson or curriculum that they're really interested in. Like there, there's in uh, uh, Española, they've got a, uh, a video production uh, team that they do, that they have the, the students like take like TikToks uh, of things that are going on around school. And by talking to them at their level, finding out what their interests are, and then finding a way to tie it into career and college readiness uh, really is what is the hook that, that gets them engaged and what keeps them coming back. So showing that you care, inviting them into the process. And, uh, you know, the parent from that clip, I, if I was the principal or, or community school coordinator at her school, I'd invite her to be on the collaborative leadership team because those are exactly the kind of voices we need to hear in, in these collaborative leadership teams. I would now like to introduce my next guest this hour, uh, Rochelle Ford, community school coordinator for Inez Elementary Community School. Good morning, Rochelle. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be here. We've heard so far this morning about community schools and what they can accomplish, but you're on the ground each day. Can you give us a day in the life of what a community school coordinator goes through? Well, I'll try because it's different every day. But what I really like, um, what I want to mention first is what Nate said, that community school coordinators are super connectors. I got a kick out of that because I always have seen myself as just that, someone who's connecting people for the benefit of my community school. And I think most importantly, community school coordinators create systems that affect change for our community, meaning that it's not specific to the person in the role, but that is the role itself. The coordinator dedicates their time to this so that staff can focus on their job, which of course is teaching our students. Um, Danette mentioned the collaborative leadership part. This comes through our community school council, which in our case at Inez consists of parents, staff, community members, and business leaders. And we do build these partnerships that are mutually beneficial between said partners and the recipients of services or experiences. On the daily, we, we, we say at Inez, what we want is for kids to want to be at school. And once they're there, we will take care of the rest of it. We do know our kids so well, and we're just so pleased when they're at school every day or when they do come with their families to engagement events after school. Um, we're meeting the needs of kids the minute they get there, whether it's socks and shoes, extra breakfast, a greeting, a, a little bit of a nudge down the hall to get into the classroom if they're having some, um, some fears or some worries that they're coming in with. So we just really build relationships with our students and families and make sure that they feel welcome every day the minute they walk into school. And you just mentioned the Collaborative Leadership Council mm -hmm. that you work with as a community school or, or coordinator. What discussions are you guys having so far about what resources the community wants or what they're most engaging in? Well, I mean, what we really do is try to, to strive to understand our community, which includes our student staff families, neighbors, and area businesses and organizations. And we build these relationships to match the needs that we have with what's available to us. So we use those community resources, asset mapping, and even sometimes personal friendships and relationships to create these connections. And the collaborative leadership team responds then to school and district goals for students. Um, as has been mentioned many times already, whether it's looking at increasing literacy and math proficiency, preparing for adulthood, catching up from the pandemic. By creating these partnerships, we can provide expanded learning opportunities and community connected classrooms. And I want to ask, what are the particular needs that you're seeing in your school? What's the community around Inez like? Inez is in a community that is near Winrock near Uptown area. So one might perceive that area as being students that perhaps do have some advantages. However, we have found that um, our students and families do have 
great levels of need. Um, I always feel like our families are hanging on financially, emotionally, physically, but are just one small incident away from being completely insecure, whether it's having to make a choice between a prescription or a car repair and paying rent. Um, our families are indeed strong, capable, um, caring families, but still have just a little bit of need that we can assist with. And so um, we like to think about our school as having layered in services so that whatever their concern might be, for their family or for their students, the answer to that question is within our school walls. And what we can't directly provide at the school, we can make referrals to offsite community-based organizations for healthcare, housing security, financial assistance, adult education, and even more. And Nate, I wanna get your reaction to what the conversation is right now. Does this sound like the typical community, a community school is designed to help? Oh, I think there is no typical community that's designed to help. It looks different everywhere you go. And, you know, like has been said earlier, even the schools that you think would have the most amount of resources, there are still kids there that struggle with mental health and anxiety or uh, ha have issues at home that, that they need help with. Uh, yeah, there are a lot of high poverty areas that do need a lot of interventions and a lot, not even interventions, just they have different needs and different ways to connect them and and don't have the resources that a lot of places do. Uh, and I'm going to pause school. you there, actually. I'm going to introduce my last guest this hour, uh, Karen Sanchez-Griego, the superintendent of the Cuba Independent School District. Good morning, Karen. Thanks for holding on there. Good morning. And, you know, we're talking about how many, what a typical community is like. Nate just said there's no typical community, but there's some things that could really help with community school models. And we know that community or Cuba is the state's highest district due to poverty, among other factors when it comes to high risk issues. How do community schools come about in your districts? Well, I think in 2018, 2019, we came in to help do some redesign. And I'm going to go back just to saying that it's a systems change. You absolutely cannot just say this is a program, it's a project, and you're going to come in and do it. No, you have to literally kick it on its head. Everybody on this panel has already said that. Um, we we just, number one, the district really didn't have any data that, to look at to see where were the kids, where were they struggling, where were their academics, what was going on with their families. We saw an enormous amount of kids being kicked out of school because of 10-day dropout but nobody or 10-day absences, but nobody would go and ask the family why are they out? What was going on? They just kicked them out. So their dropout was at 62%. And we just had to really revamp the system. We're in a 77% Native American school district, Navajo, 22% Hispanic. We're the highest at-risk district in the state of New Mexico. And our graduation rates, our reading rates, our, our attendance was abysmal. But this beautiful little land, right? Our, our kids surround 120 miles in New Mexico, right? And our kids travel on a bus at the furthest uh, point, two hours a day. So what did our buses look like? If they were falling asleep, did they have food on the bus? Did they have, you know, we bought them. Um, one of the things that we responded to was what the community said, right? We really need blankets, Karen. Our kids are falling off the bus. We need seatbelts. So things that you maybe don't think about that, that, that others don't think about. But I would go back to that. I think, I think it's a systems change. And so when, when the board, the Board of Education was really brave. They said, you know, because there was also, there's also in communities, there's lots of things that go on. And in Cuba, there was a lot of interracial fighting between Hispanics and natives and who who owned and who ran the schools and who was in it. It, it was it was really, it was sad. And, um, and so the, we told the board, if you're ready to take on the community schools model, this whole, um, you know, the pillars, all of this stuff, then you have to be able to be ready to dive into the deep end of the ocean because it's gonna create some problems because you're basically in essence, um, kind of exploding a system that is normally used to just, this is how we do it. This is how we've done it for a hundred years. It doesn't matter if it's successful or not. And we're going to call you to a meeting that's a PTA meeting and there's nothing wrong with PTA. But I will tell you that something that even my mother did not participate in because she was not a formally educated woman. When we would go home to a school in New Mexico and say to her mom, this is happening in school. She would tell us, mijita, they're not going to listen to me. I'm not an educated woman, right? But community school slips it on our heads and says, no, the actual experts in the in our communities result and sit 
in our schools. And so I would just go back to that. We wanted to change the system. We wanted to effectuate it. We saw that it wasn't working. And our board just said, we're going to start developing policies. We're going to put our budgets to that. Yes, the State Department helped us. Thank God we were able to get that initial funding. But we had to really look at how our system was doing it. We, we could not solely rely on that and not just kick a community schools person in there and say, become a community schools person with no training, no support you know, uh, uh, surrounding that. So um, we've done a lot, including, you know, uh, I think they talked about this earlier, the fact that where we live in rural New Mexico, where our kids live in rural New Mexico, there's not a lot of job opportunities for them. Where kids in the urban city can go and say, oh, you can go work at the local, whatever it is. Here, there's no place to work. And then if you're getting on a bus and going out, so we um, took some of our money from ESSER and others, and we're continuing to take it out of operational to do paid internships which are career kids choose the career. They make $15 an hour. Um, our seniors and juniors are, are in these career choices every Monday, eight hours, I'm sorry, seven hours that they get paid. And then our sophomore, our eighth graders. Anyway, it's just lots of systems, but really it's a systems change approach. I get very excited when I hear this, not only as an educator, but a native New Mexican myself, who was a product of school districts, as Professor Oaks talked about, that were unequitable. And now for the push for Yazzie Martinez, it's not just getting money in our pockets, but systemically changing how we're running school districts. And that's what Cuba Schools is doing. Are we perfect? No. Do we have things we still need to do? Yes. But we are very, very committed to, to, to student voice, to family voice, to looking at equity and um, collecting data in response to that. One last thing I'll say is that one of the things we wanted to do is, is look at dollar per kid, especially being the highest at risk. Are we spending um, New Mexico's money appropriately? Are we showing anything? So we hired a company called New Metrics that came in and looked at every single penny we were bringing in from the state, the federal government, or any kind of uh, dollars that we brought in and how did it look in terms of student success and it ranged all the way from all kids are getting SEL classes it wasn't just solely what does this test look like it's like what do their lives look like one of the things we looked at was this um, this indigenous program that we did and it was integrated with um, their heritage language their heritage culture that was and there was about 120 kids that participated in that the data showed that their participation their they were out in the community, they were planting, they were looking at food equity, all kinds of stuff. It showed in their academic test when they started it in the summer and they did it for six weeks and it was more community oriented. When they came back in August, they were the highest scoring students. The only thing that changed really was the, the methodology in which curriculum was delivered and the fact that they were doing this as a collaborative unit. And Karen, we're gonna wrap up the show here in a minute, but I wanna give you the final thought. It sounds like, it, these models are crucial for getting parents, students, the community involved. So going forward, do you think this is the future of New Mexico schooling? Absolutely. You know, somebody I think somebody said this earlier on the call and everybody was beautiful in what they said, but kind of we are the, we the people. Well, if we the people are, are who run our nation, then we've got to go back to our schools schools, churches, and then communities surround them, right? And we live within that. We've got to go back to that. And that's and all the time. Oh, sorry, Karen. We, time runs so fast, but that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to everyone who uh, emailed to share your thoughts. And thanks so much to our guest, Annette Townsend, Karen Sanchez-Griego, Jeannie Oaks, Nate Williams, and uh, Rochelle Ford. This show was made possible by the WK Kellogg Foundation and KUNM listeners like you. Let's keep the conversation going. You can search for KUNM Radio on Facebook or email Let's Talk at KUNM.org. If you missed part of the show, you can stream it online or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our engineer this morning was Marino Spencer. Bryce Dick screened your calls. Kaveh Moahead is our executive producer. And next week's show will discuss city growth and development. I'm Taylor Velasquez. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.